At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. This is The Look Ahead with Scott Seidenberg on VSIN, the sports betting network. Back here on The Look Ahead, I'm Scott Seidenberg on VSIN, the sports betting network. You can always follow me on Twitter at ScottsOnAir, S-C-O-T-T-S-O-N-A-I-R. Hit us all up on the network at VSIN Live. Coming up about 15 minutes or so from now, we'll talk some football. Mark Drumheller of Yahoo Sports will join the program. Also get his thoughts on uh, some you know UFC fights coming up as well. Uh, but the latest in the NBA, you know, we still haven't gotten any news on a Kevin Durant or a Kyrie Irving deal. Donovan Mitchell still has yet to be traded. But James Harden, to, to no surprise, because we knew this was going to happen, uh, signs a two-year deal with the 76ers. He re-ups with them after declining the $47 million player option. He gets two years, 68.6. It's really a one-year deal worth $33 million, and then he can decline the $36, $35 million option and then negotiate a new free agent deal next summer. Uh, but what had happened was James Harden's being made out to be this sort of, uh, maybe Saint's not the good word, but like a, a good soldier, right? The reports come out that James Harden went to Daryl Morey who, uh, you know, obviously they have a relationship with uh, since their days in Houston together. Daryl Morey, of course, the president of the Sixers. And, uh, you know, he says, hey, I'm, I want to do whatever it takes to help us build a championship roster. So I'm going to decline $47 million. I'll take less money this year, and you do what you got to do. And so the Sixers went out. They signed P.J. Tucker. They signed Daniel House. They uh, had a draft day uh, trade for DeAnthony Melton. And so now the Sixers, a very formidable roster once James Harden comes back into the fold. And think about whatever you think about James Harden. Me, I'm not a fan. I'm very anti-James Harden. But he's coming off as the good soldier, right? Take less money. Let me ask you something. I'm all for winning. But what is it? Uh, $11.7 million? No, it's more than that. 14, right? 47 minus 33, $14 million. That's a lot of money. No one forfeits $14 million to be a good soldier. Unless, unless that money's coming to you anyway. Now, Scott, what do you mean? Where's the money coming from? 
Michael Rubin is the CEO of Fanatics. It's a big company that, you know, they, they sell jerseys and, you know, memorabilia and all that fun stuff. Uh, Fanatics is actually going to get into the sports betting business. They want to have a sports book. And it makes sense. You know, they got this customer base from Fanatics of sports fans. And so what are you going to do? You're going to offer them sports betting. You're going to hope to attract their money. Michael Rubin was the, he was a co-owner of the Philadelphia 76ers. Now, he can't own a sports book and also own a professional sports franchise. So uh, he has sold off his shares of the 76ers. And so he has no longer has a, a relationship there. No longer owns part of the 76ers. But yet he still has a relationship with players. There was that party uh, at his house in the Hamptons uh, over the summer. And, you know, Harden's there. All these players are there. Everyone's partying it up with Michael Rubin. And what is going to wind up happening is Michael Rubin will find a way to get James Harden the $14 million that he's losing. Whether it's a endorsement deal with Fanatics or some other paid partnership, it is totally legal and above board now because he can deal directly with players now that he is no longer a part owner of the team. You see, when he was part owner of the team, he couldn't do these things. But now, because he is technically a free agent and, 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 and he is no longer part owner of the Sixers, he can go out there and he can sign any player to endorsement deals and do whatever he's got to do. So James Harden could be the face of Fanatics for the next several years, where he will make up the $14 million that he is sacrificing, and I say sacrificing in air quotes, to uh, be the good soldier and help the Philadelphia 76ers win. Is it shady? Is it uh, under the table? I don't necessarily believe so because this stuff happens all the time in sports, right? I mean, how many times do we hear about a, a college football program? And I know it's different now with NIL, but in the past, a college football program hiring a, uh, a kid, a high, a high school coach that just happens to be tied to their top recruit, right? Like it happens all the time. I mean, isn't that, um, isn't that um, what happened with Hugh Freeze, right? Hugh Freeze was Michael Orr's high school coach. And then he gets hired at Ole Miss, coincidentally, when they bring in Michael Orr. Like, and, you know, and, and if you don't know the Michael Orr story, he was the, 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 um, the lineman that was featured in the book and the movie The Blind Side. The book is better than the movie, though. Sandra Bullock was great. I think she won an award for that. But uh, run the dang ball. Uh, she was great, but it was um, the book by Michael Lewis was better. Uh, anyway, so like that, that happened, right? High school coach gets hired, and the top recruit gets funneled into the program. This, it happens all the time. What do you think the Knicks have been doing with their connections to CAA? Why is Leon Rose now the president of the Knicks, the former president of CAA? Why? Is because of the hopes of signing CAA players to play for the Knicks. That's why the Knicks are linked to Donovan Mitchell. He's a CAA guy. 
It's just, it's, it's all connected. This happens all the time across sports, not just in college, not just in the NBA, in all of professional sports. These sort of deals are arranged. So I'm, I don't hate it. I'm not, I'm not saying it's shady or anything. It's just the reality of the situation. And I think that people are naive to believe this stuff doesn't go on. James Harden will make up this $14 million pay cut. He will absolutely get this money. But you look at the 76ers now, and you have to ask yourself, are they a legit title contender? And I I, I say the word legit because, of course, everyone's a title contender, right? Everyone's contending for the title, but... And when you're a team that finishes in the top half of the Eastern Conference, you are a contender. Legit means, are you capable of winning multiple playoff series? And that's where I have question marks with the 76ers. Right now, Philadelphia is the 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8th favorite to win the title at 14-1. to 1. They are the 4th favorite to win the Eastern Conference at 6-1. to 1. And the question you got to ask yourself is, when it comes to a seven-game playoff series, can the 76ers beat the Milwaukee Bucks? Healthy. Giannis, Middleton. Can the 76ers beat the newly formed or you know retooled, I should say, Boston Celtics in a seven-game series? And I don't know what happens if Embiid doesn't get hurt, but I'll tell you what we know for sure did happen last postseason is James Harden disappeared. James Harden was not good. He had one game and everyone went crazy for it. He is not carrying the team. He's just not that player. And, and you just look at his performance. Last season, so he's 33 years old. He averaged 22 points, 10.3 assists in 65 games with the Nets and the Sixers. But in the playoffs, ooh boy. James Harden in the playoffs. 11 points, 14 points, 17 points, 16 points, 15 points, 14 points, 19 points. Yes, he had the 31-point game. Against Miami. 31 points. That was impressive. 9 of 10 from the free throw line. Huh? You wonder. You think about that game and you're like, eh, maybe some whistles were, were in his favor. 6 of 10 from three-point range. So, you know, obviously people had heard enough about his lack of shooting. And he goes out there. He goes 6 of 10. So, yeah, can't take that 30-point game away from him. But this isn't exactly a guy who was able to carry a team when Joel Embiid went down, and he wasn't the guy that complimented Joel Embiid when he was there. And, and I'll go out on a limb and I'll say that, you know, probably P.J. Tucker is going to be the, the second most influential player on this team next year. Maybe I'm just not a fan. But as far as going back to my original point, don't make James Harden out to be this uh, g- g- good soldier and the uh, the guy who's putting team first because he's going to get this money. Believe me, he's going to get this money. 
I'm Scott Seidenberg. Hit me up on Twitter at Scott's on Air, S-C-O-T-T-S-O-N-A-I-R. Coming up next, we'll be joined by Mark Drumheller from Yahoo Sports. Talk a variety of topics with Mark, including some football as well. Plenty of football to get into this hour. This is The Look Ahead. You can hit us all up on the network at VSIN Live. Don't forget, still to come, Chris Landry, football scout, coach, and consultant, and our very own Wes Reynolds. Got to compliment him on yet another golf outright winner as uh, he nailed the Open Championship. The guy's just been incredibly uh, hot in golf this season. This is The Look Ahead here on VSIN, the sports betting network. VSIN, the Sports Betting Network. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Ice cold beers, cold hard cash. Join the action on the pitch with the Heineken 2022 Soccer Prediction Challenge. Compete in 20 free-to-play pools this season for your shot at a share of $100,000 in total cash prizes. Head to DraftKings.com slash Heineken now to start your run at Victory Heineken. Beer made better. 21 and over only terms and conditions and other eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. Please drink responsibly. Scott Seidenberg back here with you. This is the look ahead on VSIN, the sports betting network. Joining us now from Yahoo Sportsbook is Mark Drumheller. Mark, thanks so much for giving us some time here on the look ahead. And I wanted to start with some uh, big UFC news as uh, Sean O'Malley is going to face Peter Yan in Abu Dhabi in October. How big is this fight? Yeah, it's a really a big step up for O'Malley. I mean, he's a guy who's gotten a lot of hype early in his UFC career and hasn't really delivered to the extent against high-end competition. And Peter Yan is going to give him everything that he can handle. So um, I, I think it's going to be a challenge for O'Malley. We'll definitely see what his uh, you know, ceiling is as far as in the promotion. But Yan is a fighter that can really beat you a ton of different ways. You know, he's a powerful striker and, and he's really the top of the food chain in that division. Um, so it's it's a big step up, in my opinion, for O'Malley. Maybe too big of a step up, for mm. him, but we'll see. Yeah, I've been asking everyone what's next for O'Malley, right? Like he's got all this hype, he's winning, and you're just wondering what is next for him. Is he going to start getting some ranked matches? Is he going to start to be a guy that's considered a title contender. And I guess this is the step in the right direction to step up in class here against Jan. 
It really is. I mean, Giannis just, you know, like I said, a, a dynamic fighter in that division, and he poses a lot of challenges for O'Malley. You know, it, it's going to be interesting to see if O'Malley comes out as aggressive as he usually does. He's going to have to use his length in that fight, try and keep Jan on the outside. But Jan's a guy who can crash distance and, and really kind of uh, – you know, from a striking standpoint, really refined, really technical striker. So um, it, it's it's what O'Malley's been asking for, and now hmm. he's got it, and we get to see if he can handle it. Well, before we get there in September, we will have Nate Diaz in his uh, final fight of his contract going up against Chemayev. And, you know, it usually it's, it's strange to see a non-title fight as the headliner of a card, but this fight would be the one that would make it rightfully so to be the headlining fight. Talk to me about this one. Yeah, I mean, this is, you know, Nate Diaz's last fight in his contract, and they're, you know, literally feeding him to the wolves, right? With, you know, Hazmat <laughs> Chamayev. And it's, uh, it's interesting. I mean, he, you know, he said he wanted to fight, and we're going to see what he can do. But stylistically, it's a terrible matchup for Nate. You know, I think Chamayev is going to be able to kind of take him to the ground, and it's going to be interesting to see what type of Nate Diaz we get in this fight, right? Like, is it, you know, is he just going to kind of go through the motions and try and play out his contract? So he can be free, or is he really going to go in there and try and, you know, pull off an upset victory? He's always dangerous off his back with submissions. You know, that's really his only spot. I'll be looking at this line, you know, uh, to see if maybe I can, you know, take Chemayev inside the distance mm. and possibly hedge it with the Diaz sub to try and cover myself there in that case. But I really think it's, um, you know, Chemayev's fight, obviously, and they're just kind of using Diaz here to just you know, bolster, um, you know, his image as he moves towards a title shot. Sure, sure. Uh, this weekend, we got UFC Fight Night in London. Uh, Curtis Blades against Tom Aspinall. What's your feel on this main event? Yeah, I love this fight. I mean, what a great stylistic matchup for a main event. You have two heavyweights here. Um, I bet Blades in this one. I got him a plus 110. I know that number, you know, looks like I might not even get the best of the number. I'm just surprised to see him in the underdog role. When you look at Blades, you know, in his dominant wrestling, um, and not only dominant, but relentless. And, and, you know, Aspinall has the tools to where, like, hey, you know, it may be possibly – um, you know, he might have to take down defense and the cardio to kind of, you know, last with blades through a five round fight. But, you know, Thomas Aspinall has had, you know, the majority first round fish finishes four in his uh, five fights in the UFC. In the UFC, his total fight time isn't even equivalent to three full rounds. Now he's in a five round fight with a wrestler like Blades, who's been in with the best the promotion has to offer. Right. Ton of experience, 12 and three in the UFC. And he's going to you know, push Aspinall to the limits from a cardio standpoint, from a defensive wrestling standpoint. And I'm just not sure Aspinall is up to the task. I think it's possible. I think that Aspinall is a fighter who has a great future and will probably one day fight for the title. But Blades has been climbing up the mountaintop, has continued to get knocked down by guys like Naganyu and Derek Lewis, really devastating strikers. I'm not sure Aspinall's on that level to where he can kind of clip him and put his lights out. So if it's going to be a five-round fight, which I expect, I expect Blades to grind out a victory using his wrestling. You got Patty the Batty going up against Jordan Levitt. Uh, is he, he's priced pretty heavy, minus 245. Do you agree with those odds? I do, and it's more... It says more to me about Levitt, right? Like, we, we've seen Levitt fight a couple times in the UFC. This is his first fight outside of the Apex. Now he goes to London and Patty's backyard. And, you know, Patty has 
you know, he's going to be the longer, stronger fighter and he's going to come out aggressive. And we know that. And, you know, even if it does end up to where like he's over aggressive and Levitt can kind of get him on his back and try and grind out a decision win, because it's really his only path to victory here. You know, Patty has good submissions off his back. He he has good transitions to where he can scramble and kind of, you know, reverse position there. Um, on a guy like Levitt. So, uh, you know, I do think that he's warranted as a favor, as a favorite at this magnitude. I played him minus 120 inside the distance. I mm. think that's the best way you attack this fight. Patty will probably get the finish. Both fights in the UFC were finishes. 14 out of his 18 career wins, I think, are finishes. So, uh, you know, he's a guy who gets the job done. He's aggressive. He's going to go in there and try and make quick work of a guy like Levitt. I think the UFC served him up the perfect opponent to do so. Uh, Alexander Gustafson is a, a pretty sizable underdog in, in this in this fight here. Uh, I was surprised to see the price, but maybe I'm just a little bit nostalgic. This is a guy who has lost, what, his last three or four fights, so uh, maybe time is catching up to the 35-year-old. Yeah, it's been a couple years since he's been in there, right? And that's always a big red flag. And if you look back, even over the last 10 years, I think he's three and six. Mm. Like So it's, uh, you know, he had that great fight against John Jones. But since then, it's been really mixed results. And then you consider the time off. This is the perfect example of where, you know, you see name value on one side leads to line value on the other side. So I played Krylov here at the minus 190 is where I got it at. I'm happy with that price. Uh, you know, I think he kind of cruises to a victory. You have to wonder, too, the mental state of Gustavus coming into this. Is he really trying to make a comeback, or does he just want to compete again? When the going gets tough in the octagon, you know, how hard is he going to fight? Is he just going to kind of look for a way out? We've seen that from him in the past. So I think Krylov at the minus 190 is a great price there. Good stuff. Uh, while I have you, let's switch gears and get into the NFL. Any futures bets that you've placed already? Yeah, I have a couple in the holster. Um, one of them I really like is the Jacksonville Jaguars, the over six and a half. Okay. Uh, you know, the Jags are a team that, um, you know, hit rock bottom last year with Urban Meyer, right? And now you bring in Doug Peterson. He can give them some stability. And, you know, defensively, they improved on all three levels of the defense, right? Trayvon Walker in the draft. They went and got Darius Williams on the back end from the Rams. And offensively, you know what Peterson's going to do, right? Everything to help his quarterback. Two tight end sets, 12 personnel. They get Etienne back. They get, you know, they signed Kirk, who, listen, they might have had to overpay, but the results on the field are going to be the results on the field. We can worry about the cap later. By the time, you know, that comes to fruition, we're going to cash this over six and a half tickets. So I like the Jags. The, you know, the deep the division is weak. I think, you know, Indianapolis still has a lot to prove. Tennessee is going to take a step back. Their offensive line got a lot worse. So I think the Jags can make some noise. Let me talk to you about the team that's in your backyard, the Philadelphia Eagles. I'm high on them this year. I got them to win the division, and uh, I think they're capable of making a postseason run. What's your take on the green? Yeah, really excited about A.J. Brown. So, you know, draft day, when they announced that trade, I tweeted out, I think at the time, at that time, the Eagles were like plus 300 to win the division. So I said, you know, let's go and hop on this, right? Might be a little bit of, you know, hometown excitement there. But I really think, you know, in the NFC East, um, I, I don't think there's a lot of competition there. I think it's kind of ripe for the Eagles to kind of ascend and win that division. Um, Dallas is, is always a bit of a wild card, very talented, very inconsistent. You know, we'll see what Mike McCarthy brings to the table. They were a very high variance defense that really got away with 
a lot of pick sixes and, you know, things of that nature on Dan Quinn's uh, defense. Can they repeat that? I'm not too sure. And, I, you know, I think when you look at the Giants in Washington, really comes down to quarterbacks. I'm not sold on Daniel Jones or Carson Wentz. So I think that both those teams are going to have a little bit of trouble this year, um, even though, you know, the Giants were able to bring in Brian DeBall. Right. Uh, Mark, I appreciate the conversation. Uh, good stuff. Good luck with your UFC bets this weekend. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Scott. There he is, Mark Drumheller. Uh, catch him, Yahoo Sportsbooks, Fox Philadelphia, The Gambler uh, as well. Uh, I'm Scott Seidenberg. Hit me up on Twitter at ScottsOnAir, S-C-O-T-T-S-O-N-A-I-R. Coming up next, we're going to keep the football conversation going. We'll be joined by my good friend Chris Landry, football scout, coach, and consultant. Uh, has worked on staff with uh, Bill Belichick and Nick Saban and uh, was in the Tennessee Titans front office. He currently runs the website LandryFootball.com. We'll talk all things football with Chris coming up next. This is The Look Ahead here on Beeson. VSIN, the sports betting network. Baseball predictions made brighter. Join the Born in a Ballpark Challenge presented by Blue Moon to compete free for cash all season. Enter weekly prediction pools to fight for your share of $62,500 in total cash prizes. Head to DraftKings.com slash Blue Moon now to join the action. Blue Moon made brighter. 21 and over only terms and conditions and other eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. Please drink responsibly. Scott Seidenberg back here with you. This is the look ahead here on VSIN, the sports betting network, the top story in the NFL here on Wednesday. Uh, no, not Kyle Rudolph joining Tom Brady in Tampa. Though congratulations, Brady gets a tight end. Um, it is the 49ers, and this is a story that is just a non-story, but the 49ers have granted Jimmy Garoppolo's agents permission to seek a trade. Um, this is news. I mean, come on. We, we knew this was going to happen, right? They, they're, they're trying to trade Jimmy Garoppolo. I guess now it's like officially out there that um, they, the 49ers have said that the agents can get involved and try and negotiate with teams and, and see if anybody wants to trade for Jimmy Garoppolo. I mean, it was back in May, Kyle Shanahan said that Jimmy is, quote, most likely to be traded. Um, yes, uh, I think that is what's going to happen. Let's welcome in uh, our friend Chris Landry. Chris is a football scout, coach, and consultant. He runs the website LandryFootball.com. You hit him up on Twitter, at LandryFootball. Chris has worked on staff with both Bill Belichick and Nick Saban with the Cleveland Browns, was in the Tennessee Titans front office, uh, and also spent time at LSU, and he currently consults with pretty much every NFL team and college football program. Uh, Chris, let's talk about this Jimmy Garoppolo story as the Niners say he can go out and seek a trade. In your opinion, is Jimmy G starting for a team week one of the NFL season? Boy, that's hard to say uh, if, because I think that, First of all, we don't know where he would go, and so that's a that's a big part of it. I I would would say no, but um, because I don't know who would make a deal where he would start. It does not appear um, that the Browns are interested in. Look like they're got their plan uh, in Deshaun uh, 
Watson's absence. So I, I would say no on that. Uh, I really don't. And I think you could have made the case that having him in San Francisco uh, as a backup, not necessarily start immediately, but as someone that they can turn to uh, if Trey Lance struggles or just has trouble. But, but you know, I, it was not realistic that they were going to be able to sell him on that idea. We'll see where he takes it. Uh, look, this doesn't mean that they're they got to do a deal. But giving him permission is showing the you know showing respect, the ultimate respect, and we'll see who's you know willing to offer uh, an appropriate value, and you know what they'll do. I think is say, look, um, here's an opportunity. You still may have an opportunity here, and you can earn earn an opportunity next off season. So it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out, Scott. But I would say that no, but you know, let's see where he might go, where some possibilities might be um and and who might be interested and i might change that well speaking of the 49ers what is your assessment of trey lance so far well there's not a whole lot there that to assess other than that he has got a lot of natural physical athletic gifts he can throw the ball well but can he throw it on time accurately um this is an offense built around the running game and, um, you know, ball-controlled passing. So he should have a chance to have some early success. But I felt of that group when he came out in that class that he was probably had the the, the furthest way to go in terms of development. But obviously they feel comfortable enough with him um, that, that they're ready to move in his direction. Obviously you, you made that decision when you trade up to draft him. But when is – is what you don't know. Well, we know now. It's 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 now. But I, I do think it's a little bit of a wait and see. I think he's going to be very good. I just don't know how effective right away. Is that roster good enough to win double-digit games this year? Yes, it is. I think it's a good roster. I think they're very competitive in that division. And I think they've got a really good chance. And I think that style of play again can bring along a quarterback where they don't put a whole ton on him. Let's face it. Garoppolo, a whole lot wasn't put on him either. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, and people say, well, he led them. No, he, he was a quarterback on the team that, you know, that went that far. I, I think they feel like um, they can get out of Trey Lance. You know, obviously they hope more than they've got out of Garoppolo, but even in the short term, as much as they've gotten out of Garoppolo. Now, sticking in the NFC, uh, who's got the most talented roster based on your evaluations right now? It's a really good question, and I've actually thought a lot about it, and I don't have a definitive answer. I mean, if you go through the divisions, it's not anybody in the East, although I do think Dallas has got some good frontline players, and I think Philly's good. I think that, you know, Green Bay's a good team, but they're missing some key pieces. If you look at the South, I I would say it's Tampa. Um. I don't think there's a huge gap between them and New Orleans as a roster. I think in the West is the most intrigue. So I would submit to you Tampa, and I would look in the West and say, it's real interesting. Seattle's got to rebuild, certainly, at quarterback. Um, I think the Rams are good, and I think that um, San Francisco's good. So I would probably put it Tampa, Rams, um, and I'm not quite sure where I would go in ranking them, 
but it would be pretty close between those two. And uh, but I will say this: I think that you know it's it's deeper and better in the AFC in my view. How do you feel about Minnesota? Because you know a lot of people maybe they're just down on them because of the name recognition of Kirk Cousins. But if you just look at the production, I mean, this is a quality offense and a really good team that should thrive under Kevin O'Connell. Yeah, look, um, I, I think that division is is maybe a little – I mean, Aaron Rodgers puts Green Bay in a, in a top position, and I would certainly agree with that. But they're not going – you know, to the Super Bowl, uh, you know, unless, you know, the aforementioned teams collapse in, out of the NFC. I think the, the NFC North is a little more wide open, at least for somebody to have a good year, Minnesota included. I think the Bears can improve. I think even Detroit can begin to win a few more games. Um, no, I think Minnesota's a, maybe a better team than most people think. And you're right. It's, it's so much is put on well, Kirk Cousins. He's not the answer. No, he's not. Minnesota's not going to be a threat in any way, but certainly competitive in the division for a while, winning a few games. They have a roster that can do that. I think that that is absolutely fair. And in the AFC, uh, the usual suspects, obviously, at the top, the Bills, the Chiefs, uh, you throw in the Chargers as well in the mix, uh, Broncos now with, with Russell Wilson. Um, when you rank them in terms of just their rosters, is it Buffalo on top or somebody else? Buffalo by a you know a slight margin. I do think Kansas City's really good. I think the Chargers, you mentioned them, that's a team that, I worry a little bit more about organization direction, coaching wise, on the field organization. I, I think that, and I think Denver. I think I think you hit it. I mean, I think you got some some good teams there. And look, by the way, I I, I would take the Raiders and kind of put them in another division and say that team, hmm. you know, might might be a playoff team. I just don't know. That, that's just a stacked division. I mean, if the Raiders are the fourth team in that division, and I think they are from a roster standpoint, they're pretty good. And if we're having this conversation, you know, week 12 or 13, and the Raiders ending up second in that division because somebody in that division's had some rash of injuries, that wouldn't surprise me at all. But I would say Buffalo and Kansas City, uh, I'd put the Chargers in the mix. I just think that the the North is a little bit of a question mark. Um, I think the Browns roster is good, but the quarterback is going to situation is going to hurt them. And I think the South is intriguing. I'm most intrigued by Indianapolis. Certainly Tennessee's good, but I wouldn't put them quite in the category of the West teams or Buffalo right now. Are you buying into the idea of Jacksonville taking a massive step forward in year two of Trevor Lawrence? Not massive step, but I think a pretty, you know, I think you'll see improvement. In terms of wins, losses, I'm not sure that we're going to see, um, you know, a, a huge leap there. But I think we'll see a better team, better organized. I think there was a lot of problems there last year that made that team non-competitive more than just the roster. So I think you're going to see an uptick there. And I do think they're in a division where they can be, you know, maybe more competitive. So, I, you know, in other words, if they win six games, I think it'd be a pretty good year. I think they could possibly do that. I, I really do. And, you know, they, they open up against Washington. We'll, we'll see how, you know, they got Indian and 
Chargers and Philly. Uh, but but I, I think they can win a few games this year. Chris, do me a favor. Hang on through the break. Let's talk college football on the other side. You bet. He's Chris Landry from LandryFootball.com. I'm Scott Seidenberg. This is The Look Ahead on Visa. VSIN, the sports betting network. At Bed365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar, whether it's a walk off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Before you make your next bet, be sure to visit vcin.com to check the current betting splits data. Want to know where the money and bets are moving every game? The Betting Splits page is updated every 10 minutes so you can see changes in all the action. Find out where the public is betting based on the number of tickets and where the money doesn't match the public opinion. You can check out not just today's action, but future events as well. Betting Splits are another way VSIN is here to make you a smarter, better year-round. Check out today's Betting Splits for every game at vsin.com. Scott Seidenberg back here with you. This is The Look Ahead on VSIN, the Sports Betting Network, rejoined by football scout, coach, and consultant Chris Landry. You follow him on Twitter at LandryFootball. The website is LandryFootball.com. Chris, I wanted to talk about this new NIL deal that Texas Tech is doing where the the Booster Club has basically, they're giving them, every kid is getting $25,000. The 85 scholarship players, the 15 walk-ons, they're all getting 25 Gs as a base salary. Is this model, like, the, the future of NIL, is this good for, for Texas Tech and for other programs? What do you make of this? I think the coaches want to have a say-so on where the money gets distributed, and, and I think they are. And, and maybe in a, um, in a way that's uh, a little bit of a fine line between are they doing it legally or not, but, but here's what I think you're getting. In fact, I think it's basically the model that Alabama is using. It's more money. But it is kind of distributed because one of the things that I'm hearing more and more that the coaches are concerned about is to have a locker room that is basically um, utilized in in recruiting to where you promise this guy this and this guy that. And then that, that's just not how it plays out on your roster, meaning, you know, you got now backups making, you know, a lot more money than the starter. And then you got to have, you got real locker room problems because now you've got, you've got agents and runners and family members that are in the kid's ear saying, look, this is ridiculous. You're the starting running back. And the guy there that was highly recruited is making more. I think coaches going to want to have a say so. And so having a, 
um, a standard uh, NIL deal where players can get a level amount of money and then maybe the players, Scott, that kind of earn the starting role, the notoriety, the ones that are a little more popular, they can make money on top of that. But this is kind of a way at least to stabilize or have at least a floor of income coming in for some of these players. It's going to be interesting because everyone's got different ideas. So while this model may look really good, others may have something that's that's even better. I, I know this. It's it's going to be fun to watch and see how they develop. I don't know. Maybe it's not fun, but it's going to be interesting to see how people do this. Let's talk about some of the more polarizing teams heading into this season. Uh, for some reason, a lot of people love the USC Trojans as they have attracted a ton of bets in the futures market to win the national championship. What's your take on what Lincoln Riley and Caleb Williams and this new look Trojans team will look like? Well, I think they can absolutely compete in the Pac-12. I think they're um, you know, definitely going to be in the mix in the conference. I do not see them as a a team that's capable of winning the national title. Now, somebody, and we've got to find a fourth team that emerges, and somebody can make the playoffs. But but as we know, making the playoffs, while it sounds good and it sounds like you've got a really good chance, I, I think there's a precipitous drop. And I think USC uh, or whoever represents the Pac-12 um, is probably would be a, a tremendous underdog and unlikely to win in a semifinal game. But but who knows? I think they'll be improved. I think that uh, – but I still think that they – and they've got some talent. I think they can compete and maybe even win. Um, I think Utah's going to be very good, always well coached. So we'll watch and see how things go in the south. But I, I do think USC has the most talent in the south of the Pac-12. In the Big 12, uh, Oklahoma with just a lot of turnover. Brent Venables comes in as the head coach. Dylan Gabriel's now there as the quarterback, the former UCF quarterback. What can we expect to see from the Sooners this year? It's maybe the most interesting watch for me, um, Scott, in that I know what Brent Venables wants to do. I think he wants to build more of a Clemson look where he came from, where there's a program that has more defensive identity um, and recruit, you know, better defensive players than Oklahoma has and kind of take Oklahoma where I think it should be. Um, But the hire of Jeff Levy from Ole Miss and uh, Oklahoma's Jeff school is a, you know, he is a, he came up, obviously his father-in-law is Art Browse came up in that old Baylor system where it's, we're going to run a hundred plays a game. That is not conducive to good defense. So the reason I say it's the most interesting watch is what are they going to be identity-wise? Are they going to, you know, adjust the tempo a little bit? And, you know, certainly you want to you want to exploit defenses. You want to be able to spread people out. You want to be able to run it. And that's what, what Jeff likes to do with his, with his offense. But if they're going to run, like, fast tempo pace, then the defense won't be what Brent wants. So what is Brent? going to do there is he going to as the head coach kind of you know put his stamp on this is how we're going to do it or is is, is Jeff going to have freedom to kind of do what he wants because I think there's a there's a pretty low ceiling championship level wise for a program that runs that fast tempo all the time I, I think Scott you got to have 
good four-minute offense to complement the quick pace two-minute style. If you don't have that balance, I think you're going to have trouble. Well, I guess the one thing we can say on the offensive side is that Dylan Gabriel is the right guy to run that offense. Yes, and I'm not worried about the offense. I think yes. the offense, but it's like, you know, if you're going to run a whole bunch of tempo, you're not going to be real good on defense. Now, mm-hmm. maybe, maybe, and the recruiting this past week was a good week, a couple of big commitments. Um, maybe they have to outscore people again in the first year. Maybe two. I'm just thinking long-term. I'm curious to see how this works. Okay, let Jeff run his tempo, and we'll try to outscore people and do that. But, see, I know what their plan is going into the SEC. And right now, unless we hear otherwise, they're still two years away. The coaches there have told me that we need two years to rebuild this roster to compete in the SEC. Because mm-hmm. we can you know, we can run that fast-paced tempo, and we could do some things like Tennessee's doing. They could absolutely do what Tennessee's doing, maybe even a little bit better. But that's not what I think Brent wants to do. I think Brent wants to have a program that is going to be great defensively. In order to be great defensively, it is fine to run some offensive tempo, but you better find a way when you get 17-point leads in the in the fourth quarter, Scott, you got to be able to work some clock and run the football and score seven, but use four and five minutes. Not, you know... <laughs> Give the opposing offense four more possessions because you're, you know, three and out. Mm-hmm. That's when that's when you blow seventeen point leads and do things that, well, is been a little bit commonplace with the Big Twelve. Look, we saw Baylor last year, and, and maybe along with Oklahoma, the favorites in the Big Twelve, show what you can do defensively. And I think they're a little bit more of the model stylistically of what you want want to do. And I think. You know, Brent, I think look at what Clemson has been. That's what Brent wants to build, and I'm curious to see how he goes about doing it. Who's the third best team in the SEC? I I don't think there is one right now. I think that um, if you look at Florida rebuild, Tennessee good offense, but they're not ready. And, uh, you know, Kentucky good team, but, but limited. So I think you put those three in the East. In the West, AM's a year away, but they're roster-wise pretty good. LSU's a bit of a rebuild. Um, Ole Miss rebuild. Miss, I don't think it is. there is a third. Mm. Throw the teams that I mentioned, throw in Arkansas, and let's have a party and figure out who's going to be three because it's going to be Alabama, Georgia, in the SEC championship game. And I just think it's going to be fun to see who emerges, who's become more consistent. Um, I think quarterback play, obviously, is always an important part. I would say that AM's roster is probably the third best right now. Uh, but LSU's pretty good. And I think quarterback play there may surprise folks. So LSU, AM, Arkansas, uh, Tennessee, Kentucky. Florida, give enough there. I mean, I, I just gave you, I just gave you seven or eight guys in the third spot, only because there's really not one. And I think because a lot of those teams are going to play one another, Scott. Uh, it's going to be fun to see. Chris, I appreciate the time as always. We'll talk again soon. Hey, thank you, Scott. There he is, Chris Landry. Check him out, LandryFootball.com on Twitter at LandryFootball. Always love love talking football with Chris. I'm Scott Sadenberg. Hit me up on Twitter at Scott's on Air, S-C-O-T-T-S-O-N-A-I-R. Major League Baseball, the All-Star break is over. 
We got games coming up here on Thursday. This is The Look Ahead here on VSIN, the sports betting network. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare.